Good day, friends. Welcome to the Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. I'm your host, Elcio Eber, transformational author, speaker, and life coach. Allow me to be a guide as you discover your higher self and your magic within. Good day and welcome to Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast with me, Elcio Abrecht. I'm so happy to have a second returning interview with Susanna Quintana. Susanna, how are you today? I'm good. I'm glad to be back with you. So, so happy. I really enjoyed our, our last podcast interview and I've gotten so much positive feedback on it because I've realized there's so many people that have suffered or are going through emotional abuse or emotional verbal abuse in such situation and even different levels of abuse, but it's not allowed to be spoken to. And when they heard that I had brought that up in a subject on the podcast and it was to my social media spreading, certain private messages came back that of thankfulness for sharing and speaking of or bringing to light the subject of emotional abuse and the narcissistic relationships and what that's like. On that note, uh, for someone chiming in for the first time, if I may just ask you to quickly introduce yourself and what you do and speak a little bit about your book, just to help people know what we're going to be talking about. Sure. Yes. Uh, My name is Susanna Quintana, and I am a writer and best-selling author of my new book, You're Still That Girl, Get Over Your Abusive Ex for Good, specifically if he was a narcissistic ex. Also a speaker, single mom and an abuse survivor at the hands of a diagnosed narcissist. So once I started telling my story, it became not only part of my own healing process, but also it turned into a cathartic process for me because I realized that I wasn't the only one experiencing this type of abuse. And considering that it's really hard because nobody really talks about it, that's where I decided to use my voice and just start telling my story And it sort of just skyrocketed from there, snowballed from there, because all these people started contacting me literally from all over the world. I got messages, and I still do to this day, and I work with women all over the world. Because, you know, when you're a victim of emotional abuse or uh, specifically narcissistic abuse, you know, our stories have so much in common. And one of the things that victims believe is that they're all alone because abuse victims are typically isolated and that's why they feel alone. So that's why I keep continuing to speak out just to bring awareness on this topic and just to let others out there who are still struggling in the darkness that, you know, know, let them know that they're not alone. Thank you so much. And no, your, your words are very resonating with my soul. And so I'll take that note to kind of lead a quick introduction to, into myself, and then I'll kind of double back on where you ended. So my name is Elsie Averick, and I am an entrepreneur, transformational author, keynote speaker, holistic life coach, tennis, health, and fitness competitive edge coach. I launched the Swimming the Ocean of Consciousness podcast as a way of sharing my life experiences and speaking around my book, Swimming the Ocean of Consciousness, which is a book about life transformation and how we need to do that internal work on ourselves to be able to reach a full point in our mental, physical, spiritual capacity to exist and to then contribute. I like using the term as a lighthouse into the world 
where, as you said, there is a lot of darkness that we as souls experience as we, we transition into the world and then go to the life system that we find we exist in on a day-to-day basis. That can sometimes be a fun, joyful, loving experience. And those experiences in individuals we interact with can sometimes bring scales of shadows and darkness into our life, which remains with us even after we are able to be strong enough to separate and leave them behind. And I find that I've most recently learned through a past relationship I had where I was deeply in love with someone that had recently been divorced from a malignant narcissist. And to trying to love once that was discovered, we, we, we found out, you know, that like I said, half our lives have been similar in dealing with that narcissistic type of personality, me in terms of my family members that I had to make difficult decisions to free myself from just to be able to, to be who I am as a healthy being from that mental game that the narcissist plays. And I didn't have that realization until conversations with what it was like for her to gain the strength to finally decide that her health and wellness was worth more than pretending just for the sake of a marriage that really wasn't a union and for her kids' sake. And that was the most difficult part. And now in my most recent dealing with the narcissistic type is having had that experience of dating someone that was the married to and now divorced from a narcissist because as you begin to date that person you're not only dating that person you're dating their kids as well as their their ex which is their previous relationship sometimes going into a dating situation you don't always see that scale and when you do then finally have that experience it's good to have someone like yourself that has survived such a marriage to be able to have that discussion with you know as a way of guiding to or like i'm saying swimming through that conscious state of dealing with it emotionally, physically, as well as mentally to create a healthy new relationship from. Yes. In that state of sense, uh, Susanna, I'd like to, 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 to take the, the, the weight of kind of what we were just talking about in our introduction, and for, especially for those that don't know the narcissistic type or has not dealt with emotional abuse or have dealt with emotional abuse but not been aware that it was due to a narcissistic type of our control dominance CD. I'd like to introduce what I call the five states of consciousness within the ocean of consciousness that I speak of. The first state is the ego consciousness state of being, which means not being aware of yourself, your internal self, your spiritual self, but just existing from a state of I am John Doe, this is what I am, and I am a narcissist. <laughs> but the world will know me as the most charming, beautiful, successful person and the world will want to love me and those closest to me will always feel that difference. The self-awareness or self-conscious state of being is, is that first self-internal growth achievement that happens when one is willing and honest enough to do mirror work, to look within self, to grow from that state of being into something more. Whether we are the villain or the victim of a situation, there always has to come a point where we said enough is enough and what's best for me in a healthy state of mind. And that takes us to that self-awareness, which brings about self-consciousness of our being and allowing that being to now have to make a decision consciously, hopefully, of 
yes, I want to take care of me and I'm more important. And I don't believe that my purpose for being in this world is to submit so much to someone else's will, mentally, physically, or even emotionally at all states of being, or am I have a right to be, which leads me to a deeper appreciation then of the life within through the subconscious state of being. That now allows within that ocean of consciousness a rising of unconscious state of awareness of yourself and that connection to something greater, that connection to the earth, that connection to the inner self, the connection to your family, the connection to your kids, that deeper connection to the earth, the society around you and everyone else involved in what you're terming your reality and existence. I think last time I was jokingly trying to bring about it how it's a dream within a dream because it, it leads from an unconscious state of being into the nothingness of source consciousness, which the, the, the highest end of, of what used to be called in traditional religious aspects or tables, talks of the ascension of a spirit from physical into that source self, like the, the Christ ascension. So I think it's kind of good off coming off of an Easter weekend to bring that into full resonance of the resurrection of the Christ spirit, of the Christ consciousness into our day-to-day -day lives, into our physical being, because Christ in form was always leading us to the creator or to that higher states of self, even beyond his self, that we have an innate ability to connect to. And it's up to us to do that work to kind of sort of, let's say, climb that ladder or to ascend closer and closer and closer to the oneness of source or the oneness of God from the lowest state of existence of the ego state consciousness, which is the powerful realm of the narcissist, where they can rule to manipulation, whether it's to radio, TV, charmingness of a one-to-one -one interaction or to family friendship group circles. There's always a way in which those, that type of mindset takes control of the weaker ones that are loving and trusting and, you know, more thinking about the oneness of the world, being able to come together as a family versus those that want to have segmented specific control groups and where they're always ultimately in control of it all. That leads me into, I usually then, after introducing the five states of consciousness, I have a worksheet for my work with life coach clients, health and wellness clients, even tennis clients to try to identify where they are at an emotional scale what is their three best and three worst skills and positions of life that they're seeking then short-term and long-term improvement from and how I can help from that perspective? Because that leads me to the four stages of learning in life and how I can identify where my client is at and what work I need to assist them to have on that self-reflecting journey that can lead them to that place that they can then be strong enough to assist and help others. And that then is the, from the lowest state of ego consciousness of being is an unconscious, incompetent state of mind. From an unconscious, incompetent state of mind, a, a being is unaware that they are lacking in anything or that is anything wrong with them and their, their actions, words, or displays, which is typical to then a narcissistic type 
personality that believes their way is always going to be the right way. And if you're not in direct in agreeance, they'll charm you into agreeance, and that charming then becomes forcefully and sometimes violently applied. But that leads to a conscious incompetent state of existence because now you become consciously incompetent of something. I'm aware that this doesn't feel right. I'm aware this is not who I am. I am aware that there is more to me than I am being subjected to. Now I have to make a decision because before I was unconscious, I didn't know, I, I didn't know the awareness of it. Now that I do, it haunts me that I can make a choice to stay or I can make a choice to leave. When you make that decision, you become consciously competent of, of yourself as a being, yourself as a body, yourself as the individual within them, everything that, that emanates from you and around you. That leads you to an unconsciously competent state of being because now you're existing from a, a self-aware internal space, deeper than the body, deeper than the mind. You're coming from a heartfelt perspective of I am love. I am wellness. I am so much to the world that I can be. If I can take a moment, take a breath, I can share and be a, a lighthouse for others because I have survived this. I am greatness. That is the unconsciously competent state of mind that opens the doors to sourcefully being competent, one with source, knowing my purpose, knowing my love, and knowing how to be of assistance to all those that is in need to, to, to leave the darkness into self-lightness. And I apologize. <laughs> I know it's a, it's, a, it's a lot to share in one breath, but um, I wanted to share that as a, as a quick introduction. And I'll, I'd like to allow you some time to come in from what I was speaking of, and we can go from there. But for me to do that, I'll use my singing bowl and chime you in. Okay, Susanna. Yes. So, on, on that introduction of the states of consciousness and those stages of learning, how is it as you're finding time that you've, you've been away from the narcissist, now that you're in a position to assist others, that you're flowing, as I was trying to explain, onto that stages of, of the learning where you're now consciously and unconsciously competent of your sourceful self versus that personal persona type of the narcissist. Right. Well, recovering from being in a narcissistic abuse, abusive relationship and then escaping it and then recovering from it and then surviving it, fully healing from it is a journey of, it's an absolute journey of consciousness because when we're in it and you'll hear, I've never heard a survivor like myself not say that, you know what, when I was in it, I didn't know that I was a victim, right? Because, because emotional abuse is so tricky and acts, it's very insidious. It acts like a cancer because you can't see it. It's still doing the damage and could potentially do great damage if, if not, if not finally detected. Right. But it's, it's not like physical abuse where the proof is right there. You can look in the mirror and you can see a bruise or you have a broken bone or you have to go to the hospital or something. Yeah. You have these, this physical proof. So, so you can, so, so in other words, you can, you will, you will be conscious of that, right? Because you will look and say, okay, I'm conscious of the fact that I have a black eye and my abuser gave it to me. 
Whereas emotional abuse, it's completely the opposite. I mean, I spent 16 years with this person and did not realize I was a victim of any kind of abuse, but especially I didn't know anything about narcissism or, you know, what I had heard the term narcissist, but that was just from the Greek myths that I thought it was somebody who just, you know, like looking at themselves in the mirror. I didn't really know this was like a personality disorder. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. So I wasn't I didn't actually become conscious until I escaped. And then I went on that journey of, of discovery, of researching everything I could get my hands on about narcissists and how they work. And then through that process is where not only I became conscious of what had happened to me and what my experience looked like, but then when I could define it, then that's when I could, I could, I could move forward into, as you mentioned, competent consciousness where I was actually doing something about it because I could release that blame and shame I had been carrying before that I thought was mine. I thought, I thought, you know, everything that he did was my fault. I thought I had brought it on. I thought there was something inherently wrong with me. And that's what emotional abuse, that's what narcissists do because they're masters at manipulation. They're masters at getting you to think that you're the one with the problem, right? And the, and, and the way they're, they're so successful is because the outside world believes them, right? Because nobody can see inside the home what's going on. And so they believe this facade of the narcissist who's you know typically very charming, very likable, very successful. And, and so so... So this whole scenario is playing out while you're silently suffering, but you don't really know. I mean, I remember for years, especially the last few years, I was having so much physical pain and going through. I had so many physical problems going to doctor after doctor. I couldn't figure it out. I was very, very sick all the time. And this was, and I was a typically healthy person. I mean, I was trained as a holistic health coach. So I knew all about wellness and health and things like that. And so the picture of me, you know, I was in, I was in great physical shape. I knew how to, I was a healthy eater, all of that stuff. So the, so the picture of me on the outside, you know, did not give away how I was slowly deteriorating physically on the inside. And I had no idea why until after I got out of that, after I escaped it, what I call the darkness, right? And slowly but surely, as I educated myself, and I, and I not only educated myself about narcissists, but I also connected with other victims and other survivors. Because we're all on the same path. Uh, some of us are just farther ahead than others. So, so I connected with women who had similar stories to my own, but who were farther ahead on the path and who could help me you know, get through it at the beginning, which is why I do what I do now, because now that I'm in a position of being farther ahead on the path, I mean, farther ahead on the path and, you know, living fully in the light of my, of my life, you know, it's my purpose to, to pay it forward to those who are still struggling on the path behind. But like you said, it's just a journey of consciousness of waking up. First of all, you have to, you know, wake up to what has happened to you. Then you go through the process of acceptance and understanding what happened to you. Then you go through a process of grieving and anger and rage and all of these emotions that come up because they're, they're, they're almost um, leftover emotions that you never got to feel while you were in it. And then once you go through that, then you, you know, become fully awake and, and empower yourself to, 
you know, empower yourself to get into a position where you are no longer emotionally attached to what happened to you. So that way you can, you can look at it logically and rationally without it having, without it having the chance of, you know, yanking you back to where you used to be. Yeah, that falling back into habits, that, that sliding into that emotional darkness, as you say, once you're, you're consciously willing to be crystal about the need for sometimes the heart leads us in a different direction. And that's where that balance of the decision is necessary. Uh, the, the, not the decision, but that, that conviction of that decision to stick with it. How do you be persistent and consistent in what you know is, is healthy, what you know is right for you versus what has been your norm and what feels like an obligation from within that, that internal conflict. No, uh, thank you so much for sharing. And then I think that that's, that's kind of where I enjoyed speaking with you last time because it is sort of open a mix of why I decided to, to call this swimming in the ocean of consciousness because we're physical beings, but so much of what we are physically and we share with the world is not of who we really are from a mental perspective, the mindset we take with us and bring into the world and carry in, in, in our day-to-day interactions. And that's only then instructional tool for the body because really it's led by the heart, it's led by our feelings, it's led by our emotions, it's led by the depth of, of our heartfelt connection to what some might call spirit or some might call soul. And that is a deeper sense of I am awakened, I am attuned, I am alive. And because of that I am, I am connected to that sourceful river, that sourcefulness, that original sound that resonates across the universe, that resonates into our galaxy, that resonates into this earthful sphere. And from that resonation of the sphere, we feel it through the earth, into our beings, that allows us to notice so much more capable than the minuscule ways of living under someone else's wishes. And with that, I'd like to just quickly shift to, to a little bit of a lighter daily affirmation I had last time from the 23rd mile. And then from there, we can maybe dialogue back and forth into what it's like to, to grow from such experiences. Because I am sight and I am seen. I am light and I am love. I know that I can achieve greatness within, so above, so below. I am mind and I am body. I know that I will overcome all adversities. I am heart driven by emotions and I am spirit reflecting light forward. I know I am highly favored and blessed. So it is that I know with faith that this too shall pass. And with this two passing, Susanna, in that moment of growth and strength, as we spoke of many times before, there is still that having to deal with a narcissist on a day-to-day life because of being a parent. And as a parent of a, being a survivor of a narcissist and going stronger as you, you have from that, and I bring this because I saw how your handsome son was going to prom on. Yeah. Was, yeah. And it was like, you know, and I felt so happy for you as you were posting how, you know, it was you and him and, and yeah, how far you've come from that place, you know? Yes. And how do you, how do you hold then? What, what is, you know, as you said, I am, I am sight and I'm seen, but the light and the love that is in your heart, with your son and you're passing that forward, but you're being, you're conscious, as we said, not to let those those 
remnants of that darkness slip into the newfound relationship and the newfound person that you are. Yes, that is one of the hardest part parts of the healing journey is going through the place of going through the place of having to feel the pain, feel whatever you need to feel, whether it's anger or rage, or just to process, just to grieve what you've been through. And while you're, why that is the hardest part is because typically we don't get a lot of support from those around us because it's, you know, the awareness around narcissistic abuse and what they do is, is so is so few and far between. So more often than not, victims will hear things, and I certainly heard it for the longest time, and actually still do sometimes, but victims will hear things like, you just need to move on. You need to put the past behind you. You need to just get over it, right? And the problem with saying something like that is that when we've invested an incredible amount of time and our energy and our, especially when you're like fully invested that you're, let's say you're married, you have children, you planned a future, you're with somebody for, you know, an extensive period of time, like 10 years or more, you don't simply leave that, leave that relationship. And just because you've left it, just because let's say you signed divorce papers, that doesn't make everything that you've been through just simply go away. And the other thing about being a victim of a narcissist is that, is that that understanding, which is crucial, is that you will now be, you're not going to be a different person, but you have changed because the trauma has changed you. And so understanding that and in my own case and why I say it's so difficult is because because that's a painful that's a painful understanding to come to and the reason it's painful is because because who wants to think like oh my god I just gave up my life to this person and now now I've been changed right because of it but but the beautiful thing about that is and how I started looking at it is that Yes, I've been changed, but I've been changed in a way that now my life is going to be exponentially more beautiful than it could have been before, right? And my life is going to exponentially be more full and vivacious and connected to to people around me. And love is going to be uh, so much bigger in my life and joy and peace and all of these things that, that had been denied me in the past when I was in the relationship. So so getting to that understanding and also understanding that there's never going to come a, a point where you're just never going to think of the past again, right? Nobody does that. I mean, that's ridiculous to expect people that you, you can't just shut out the past. I mean, you, you actually, you can, people do, but they do it in very harmful ways, right? By self-medicating or by just becoming very shallow thinkers or because in order to shut off the past, whether it's good or bad, you have to have some sort of like, you have to go unconscious again, right? As you were, as you were talking, you can't be a conscious being and, and, and not have the past affect you. And, and the proof is in, you know, if you just look at, at the, in the, in it, in the most simplest of terms, you know, our, our cells, every single day in our body are, dying and regenerating, right? Every single day, this is a constant process in our body. And when we have reactions, let's say to something that happened a week ago or something that happened a year ago or whatever, if it's a bad memory, you know, because we can't get rid of memories, right? That come that come back to us at, at all sorts of times. So when we have a bad memory, that 
that triggers us to feel maybe maybe our heart starts you know beating a little faster maybe we start sweating maybe we just get a stomach ache something physical happens to us right and the same with good memories right we feel like if we remember back on really good times and good moments we're filled with joy and elation and you know our endorphins are going so that just shows you that the past is very much alive and, but this, again, this could be a good thing. And this is, I believe the key, at least it was in my case, the key to recovery is that just understanding that you can look back on the past, right? Like I can look back at my entire 16 years that I spent with this person. And since I've already gone through that process of acknowledging what happened, learning about what happened, releasing myself from the guilt and the shame of it, and processing all of that, now I can, I, I was able to emotionally detach from it. So I don't forget that I, that it happened because it still helps me because I can share my story to help others. Right. But it doesn't pain me to talk about it. No, and exactly. So if we ignore our past, then it's going to be painful when it does come up for it. Correctly. And that is the mirror work that I was trying to reflect earlier on. And you're so spot on because if we're able to do that mirror work, so with the standing in front of not just the physical mirror, but the mental mirror where my thinking process, like, you know, um, what is my state of mind? Is it balance, joy, happiness, and move forward? Am I moving anxiety, fear, doubt? Was that capacity didn't connect to the heart and that spectrum? And I think that's that clarity as you were talking about when cells are dying and regenerating daily of our, our, our being is to me closely linked to what I, I then term with that ocean of consciousness because it's those gradient scales of your existence of yourself that can feel to, to resonance, to vibration, you know, to that sound that is then becomes vibration within, that becomes emotion, that becomes a mental structure of thought. And if those things are in balance with the life we're living physically and it's healthy and it's joyful, it's it's like it's like a euphoric wave that hits us, and we're like, yeah, this is this is the moment. This is joy. And when it's not, it's like something in me tells me I can stream forward into into this joyful place of love and light and and compassion and sharing. But now I'm scared to to be, or I'm scared to come from that place of love because. I'm not really in control of my body and control of my life because this person I thought I was loving from the heart has now turned into a very controlling and manipulative and insulting and abusive, not even partner, but just someone that's there. So I feel prison to that. And then once free from that is, is, is finding the courage to connect to that joy of self that you know in your heart brings you back to that stream, that consciousness. And I think if one can do the mirror work, as you were mentioning, the cell generation or just the concept of it, to me, I, I take it and then I say, well, yes, because then heart to heart, mind to mind, you can take what happened and once you can do the mirror work and face it, you, you, you come out of it stronger so that the next time, even in facing that person face to face or in, you know, in transitioning your kids back and forth, uh, sometimes p- parents and, and women that are surviving these narcissistic abusive things have to do with, with the other kid. It comes from a place of strength because you're no longer that 
victim that this person can control. And when they see you now, they no longer really know how to deal because their words doesn't melt your heart. Their words doesn't shrink your shoulders and cause you to fold. You stand with a new light and you're able to just shut them down. Yes. And the key is, is the, the way to get to that place, to, to that emotional detachment from the actions and words of a narcissist is, and this is why I titled the book the way I did, You're Still That Girl, is, and the work that I do with women is getting them touch, getting them back in touch with the girl they used to be. That's what I did for my recovery process, because understanding that those voices in our head, right, that w- when we have been with a narcissist for so long and, and emotional abuse, like I said, is, is insidious because we don't, we don't know it's happening when it's happening. So what happens is we get to a place where we actually believe the voices in our head. We believe that they're in control. We believe that they have the power. We believe what they tell us about ourselves. So the key to that is once you get to that place of awakening and becoming conscious, then it's important to examine, okay, where are these voices in my head? Who, who's, who are, who's saying these things to me, right? Because when you go back, like for example, I'll just use my own journey as an example. When I went back to the girl that I used to be, this was long before anybody told me that I was too sensitive, I was too emotional, I was too high maintenance. I could be mean, I could be angry, I, I wasn't a good girl, you know, all these things that I had actually infused into my being, believing that this was, this was actually who I was. Right. So, so the control that a narcissist still has over you is just that, is that you're still believing what he's telling you. And I'm just saying, I'm using he, she pronouns, but you can switch those obviously. But so, so the, the key to their, to them still having power over you is that in some way you are still emotionally attached to them because you're still believing what they're telling you about yourself. So as soon as you can disconnect from that and realize that, oh, they're just saying this because that's so they can continue their abuse, right? That's how we become empowered is because we say, I'm not going to believe your, your narrative, you know, anymore about me. I'm going to take control and I'm going to write the narrative. I'm going to write my own story and I'm, I'm the only one who's the author of my life, right? I'm the only one who's going to say what I am or what adjectives I am. So. And that's okay, and that's so, and then and that is okay for me to do that. I, I believe that's such a strong point to come from because that is where you you reclaim who you are from those that you give your love and your heart to and trusting. Yes. Susanna, if I could take a really quick moment to inject a description of a narcissist, because I, I was, as we were speaking, I quickly looked it up, and I figured if someone that's listening to us doesn't know or understand what it's described as, if you, if you look up the, the, the dictionary understanding of it, I wanted to kind of quickly get that, and then from there, maybe you can take that and then take it into what we're talking about and try to help people to understand really how they can identify and grow from. A basic narcissistic abuse and narcissistic refers to any abuse by a narcissistic, particularly emotional abuse in parent, child, and adult-to-adult relationship. The term was coined in 1999 by Sam and is support for the group of victims of narcissism. And then they go on to say that a malignant narcissism is a psychological syndrome comprising an extreme mix of narcissism, antisocial behavior, aggression, and sadism. 
narcissism personality disorder is found in diagnostic and statistical manual mental disorders. So this is like a strong sense of how it is to deal with such a personality and then find yourself free from it. Yes, and that's part of the the beginning process of of the first thing that that any victim will do is like I said once I escaped is is just learning everything you can about narcissists in particular because they those narcissistic abusers have a particular way of getting a victim to endure to put up with the abuse as long as possible right mm-hmm. so they have just manipulations and tactics that they use and again because they're not i mean sometimes obviously it is with physical abuse but with emotional abuse there are not any signs that it's happening right so it's very hard to distinguish why is this happening and then on top of that narcissists don't show you who they are when you first meet them right and because a lot of people that's another horrible thing that people you know say to victims and and i've heard it myself is you know why did you ever get involved with somebody like that why did you stay so long why did you put up with it Um, narcissists are masters at you know, in the beginning at telling you, giving you exactly what, telling you what you want to hear and giving you exactly what you want in a, in a partner, right? Because they're just, they're just, um, they're mirroring everything that you want so they can get you under their spell. And they do that in the beginning with love bombing. And the reason that it works on certain, you know, certain people like myself, for example, is that they choose they choose people who are, you know, it's a it's a myth that victims are weak and stupid and all of those things and don't know what we're doing and stuff like that. Narcissists yeah. actually choose people who are by far on a higher level than them and they know that. They pick people who who are smarter than them, who are more talented than them, who are, you know, like in my case, I mean, I was a I was very educated when I met him. I was smart, I was really good with money, I was creative, I was a good mother. All of these all of these things, you know, and and those were exactly the things over the years that he proceeded to deliberately break down in my in my esteem to the point where and it happened so slowly that there was no way I could distinguish what was happening right because in the beginning everything was perfect everything was you know he was like he was the man of my dreams and you know I shouted it from the rooftops of what a lucky girl I was to have found somebody like that so when the when the signs started when when things started happening like the lying or the manipulation or you know and things like gaslighting there's no way that any normal person would be aware even even knows hardly anybody even knows what that is right yeah. Susanna, can you quickly for those that aren't familiar with the narcissism experiences um, and the, the, the terminology you, that's used for connection of, can you explain really quickly what gaslighting is? Sure. So gaslighting, it's named after an old movie, I think it was in the 40s, called Gaslight, in which the main character tried to make his partner feel like she was crazy, that she was going crazy. Okay. So he would do things like, you know, turn off the electricity and tell her that it was working. And she, anyway, just tactics like that. So gaslighting is deliberate. It, let me give you some examples. It's, and it's for the purpose to break down the confidence of somebody to break down their, 
self-worth, to break down their esteem. And to, that's why so many victims of narcissists, the first thing they'll tell you is, I thought I was crazy. Yeah. Because it is a crazy-making tactic in that, you know, some examples are, you know, I remember over, God, I could give you a, a million examples, but but the most common ones are things like, he would say something, and I have a very good memory. And so he would say something, and then, you know, maybe a couple days later, I would call him on that and say, oh, what about this? And then he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. I never said that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So things like that where even though I was a very smart woman, I just started beginning, I began to doubt myself because I thought, wait a second, I had a sworn he said that, but now he's doing this or in particular over a longer term where in the beginning there were things he would tell me about myself, like how great I was and I was so good at this and I was so good at that and I was a great mother and all these things. And then slowly he would, he would, he would do, use these passive aggressive sort of moves to start making me doubt that, right? And, and when I would go and ask him for, let's say, validation or to get, you know, maybe I was feeling insecure about a choice that I made or something like that, then that's exactly when he would start making me feel like I was the crazy one. Because he'd say, I don't know, I never said that, or I don't know what you're talking about, or also setting you up with other people, like in, in, with triangulation. So let's say he would tell one person, let's say a, a close friend of mine, he'd tell her something and then she would come to me and then I would go confront him. And there would be this, you know, story that wasn't matching up and it made me look like the one who didn't know what she was talking about, right? Like the crazy one. So, so gaslighting is very effective because you can take, a narcissist can take, you know, like in my case, a very smart, very strong, very educated person and reduce them to, you know, in the last couple of years, especially the last two years before I left, I mean, I didn't think I was worth anything, right? I would look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm a terrible mother. I don't know what I'm doing with money. I'm terrible at this. I'm no good at this, right? Yeah. And that was, that, was, that was all because of this process of just slowly breaking me down. And gaslighting is one of the, you know, best ways to do that to somebody. Yeah, no, and I think it comes back to the five states of consciousness I was mentioning earlier with the swimming ocean of consciousness and, and the mirror work that is necessary because we, have, we as individuals have to be able to be strong enough of ourselves from, to know which state of consciousness we're in, from the ego to self to sub, because that's where your strength starts to develop amidst those gaslighting effects. You, you start to, to, to trust yourself or that there's something more there within you then for trust to connect you to that sourceful river that we talked about earlier that separates that gaslighting that narcissist does to separate right. yourself from your inner trusting of your heart and your divine knowledge of who you are and who, which state of which state of, which of those four stages of learning that you're in at that moment and only you can determine that. And I think what happens if you kind of jokingly look at it like um, a karate swoop of your legs from under you, you, you just sort of have that swoop and you're sort of swifted and you're, you're, you're like, wait a minute, what happened? I'm upside right. down now. <laughs> How did I get upside down when I knew I was balanced? And right. now you're left looking for direction, sort of like on a compass, am I north, south, east, or west? Exactly. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. It was truly a pleasure to be your guide. 
Please do join us next time for another eye-opening episode. Until then, please remember to thread water lightly and always be kind and loving to self.